Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture family, it's good to be together today. And uh, I sure appreciate all the videos, the, the Lopez, the CISC, the Checos, all that sent in videos. I'd encourage everybody, if, if you want to send in a verse or a video, something that's encouraged you, it's great for us to be able to share them as a church family. And we're coming into Easter week. So this is a special time of year. And this certainly isn't the Easter that any of us planned, but it's the Easter that God planned. And so we're approaching it with a sense of anticipation that God's going to do something special in this time. Now, I know that can be hard, but I want you to engage with us. I want you to be a part of it. And so I want to invite you. We'll have a good Friday service this coming Friday, and it's one of our favorite services of the year where we reflect on the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, and we walk through those. It's, it's a pretty sober, reflective service as we think about what Christ did for us on that day. We'll also take communion in that service, so you want to prepare for it. And then Easter weekend... Uh, you know, usually we have so many services on Easter weekend, and this year we've actually increased our seating capacity now that we've included all of your homes. And so we're only going to have our three services, our normal service time, Saturday at 5, Sunday morning, 9.30, 11.15. I want to encourage you, though, this would be a great year for you to invite people, for them to be able to engage. Now, again, I, I know it may not feel like Easter, and I know this is a hard season for many of us. In fact, as I was thinking about how we prepare for that season, I, I turned to the words of Jesus, and, and I tried to look at how did he encourage his followers. It, it's hard when you're going through a time that we've never experienced before. None of us have ever been through a pandemic that has affected our planet in this way. You know, I was looking through history at how other believers dealt with it at different times. And one of the people that stood out to me was the poet, who was also a pastor, John Donne. John Donne was a, a pastor in London, and he wrote many famous sonnets. Early in his uh, youth, he was not a follower of Christ. In fact, he, he was pretty wild and reckless, wrote much erotic, even sensual poetry that was pretty scandalous for his time. But then when he came to Christ, his life changed, and he became a pastor. In fact, in 1621, he was appointed the pastor of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was a difficult time, though, because of the Black Plague. Actually, the bubonic plague was spreading across the planet. They were dealing with it, a pandemic, and, and they were having literally hundreds of thousands of lives that were being lost. And he was dealing with funerals almost every day. In 1623, he was sick. He thought he was on the de his deathbed with the plague. And from his bed, he could hear the church bells as they would toll. They would ring the bells when someone else had died. And one day he heard the bells ringing, and he thought it was for him. In fact, on his bed, he, he wrote these lines, some of the most famous poetic lines that we know. He wrote, No man is an island entire of himself. In other words, all of us are connected to all of humanity. No man's an island. He says, therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. That famous line that Ernest Hemingway used for one of his books. He says, you don't want to know who, whom the bell tolls because it tolls for thee. 
Do you feel his sense of, of depression that he was struggling with? That sense of foreboding that, that he thought the bells were tolling and he said, I don't even want to ask who they're tolling for because I think they're me. Now, we've come a long way since the 17th century. We have more medical technology. We have more testing. We have more hospitals. We, we have so much more than they had. But you know, you still feel that same sense of foreboding today, that fear. Sometimes we wake up with a sense of panic. We, we don't know what to expect because we've never been to it before. What do you say to people in times like this, in troubled times? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 14. I think it's a great passage. In fact, Martin Luther called it the most comforting sermon that Jesus ever preached. In John 14, He's speaking to his, his disciples, and they're troubled. They're troubled by what he had been telling them. They're troubled by the fact that they're up in the upper room, and this is the night before he's going to be crucified. And he, he shared this last meal with them, but over the course of the meal, he starts telling them things they don't want to hear. He's telling them about his death, about his body being broken and his bloodshed. He tells them that one of them is going to betray him. He even looks at Peter, the strongest of them, and says, you're going to deny me before the night's over. And, and the disciples don't know what to do with this. I mean, in one short week, they have gone from the top of the mountain when they think all of their dreams are coming true. The Sunday before, on Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem. Everyone's praising him. Everyone's cheering. They finally think the Messiah's here. We're going to institute the kingdom and overthrow Rome. And here we are five days later, and Jesus says, no, I'm about to die, and you're about to scatter, and you'll even deny me and betray me. Th these 12 guys that have done life together for the last three years, all of them left everything they had, all of them put all of their family and their future and their hopes and their dreams on the line for Jesus, and all of it's coming crashing in, and they don't know what to do with it. What do you say to people that are troubled like that? Look at Jesus' words in John 14. John 14, 1, and, and I like this line. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Right out of the gate, he's thinking about them. He wants to encourage them, and through it, I find so much encouragement for me. But notice there's a command here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, he's saying, don't let your emotions get away from you. He, he knows, and, and the command in the Greek actually says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. You're already there. And so Jesus is looking at them, and, and I think he's looking at us, and he says, guys, you've got a choice. You've got a choice to either let your emotions be in charge, and your emotions lead you, and it'll lead you to a place where all the time you feel troubled. Or you got another choice. The choice is, are you going to trust me or are you going to be troubled? I think it's a choice for each of us. We've got to choose, are you going to trust or are you going to choose to be troubled? And we've been saying this through this series in Daniel and now we hear it in the words of Jesus. Here's the choice you have. You choose trust or you choose to be troubled. You choose faith or you choose fear. You make a choice on how you're going to live life. 
how you're going to respond in the circumstances. Are you led by your emotions? Are you making a deeper choice? Now, as you hear that, and, and maybe my first response is, well, Jesus, why should we not choose troubled? I mean, do you know what's going on? We're in a pandemic. Have you seen the economy? Have you seen how many people lost their jobs? Have you seen what is coming next? Have you seen the fact that we, we don't even know what news we can trust? We don't know what projections are ahead of us. Of course we choose to be troubled. And, and Jesus says, no, no. Trust. In fact, in this passage, he's going to give us three distinct things that he calls us to trust with him. Look at the first one. You see it in this passage. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Now, what he's talking about with them is they had always believed that God existed even though they didn't see God. What they were most troubled about was Jesus had just told them he's leaving. Now, he's the Messiah. He's the one they're trusting and he's told them he's about to leave. So in their mind, they can't compute. What do we do with this? And so that troubles them. And he says, no, wait a second. In the same way that you believe in God, that God is with you, even though you can't see him, I'm asking you to do the same thing with me. Believe also in me. Now, notice what he's claiming here, that he is God. And he's saying, guys, even though you can't see me, You've got to believe that I am with you. Here's the first thing that he's calling us to trust him. Trust in his presence. Trust in his presence. Trust that he's here. Trust that he's with us. Trust that the same God who's been working throughout history is still that same ever-present God. And, and for them, they would look back in Israel's history. Back in Deuteronomy 31, when Moses is telling the people goodbye, they're about to go into the land of promise, but he's not going. And that scared them. Moses had been their leader for over 40 years. And now he's saying, no, I'm not going into the land. And they know they're going into this strange land, this wilderness, this place that has giants, and their leader's not going to be with them anymore. Look what Moses says to them, though. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God's going with you. Moses says, don't trust in my leadership. Trust in God's leadership. You know, in, in Joshua chapter 1, God will say this exact verse to, to Joshua. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. See, as you trust in God, you can trust in him. And in the same way Jesus is saying to his disciples, the God who has led in the past will continue to lead you. The Savior who's been with you for three years is going to continue to be with you, even if you can't see him. You know, Peter didn't grasp it that day, but later in his life he would write these words, and he's writing them to us, actually. Look what he says in 1 Peter 1. He says, you love him. He's talking to us. He says, you love Jesus, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter's encouraging us, and, and he's writing this to a church that's going through suffering. He's writing to people that are going through a hard time, and he's telling them to do the same thing that Jesus told him to do. You've got to trust Jesus, even though you can't see him. 
Trust him. Love him. Know that he is with you. Know that he will never leave you. Guys, this is the Savior who says to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so here's the first thing that I would tell you why we can choose trust over trouble. is because Jesus is with us. Because of his presence. As he continues on though, look at the second thing is we can trust in his promises. We can trust in his promises. And we're going to see three promises in the next verses. Read with me as Jesus continues in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is describing for them where he's going. And, and he makes some promises in this. Look, look at the first promise, and, and I love this. He promises that heaven is a real place. He's describing where he's going, heaven, eternity. And, and in that, he, he describes it as a real place. Notice he doesn't describe it as this ethereal place cloud-like place, this, this white light that we hope to go to, this, this nirvana that we might reach one day. He doesn't use that kind of terminology. He doesn't describe it like a lot of people describe it today, oh, you just go toward the light. He says, no, I'm going to a real place. It's real. He describes it with the term, my father's house. And that's a special term. You know, scripture uses different terms to describe heaven, to emphasize different things. I like how John MacArthur describes it. He says in the New Testament, heaven is often called a country, emphasizing its vastness. It's called a city because of the large number of its inhabitants. It's called a kingdom because of its structure and order. And it's called a paradise because of its beauty. But one of the most special phrases and think about it, he describes it, he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms, there are many dwelling places. Now, the old King James Version used to say, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And so we kind of have this picture of each of us getting a mansion. We don't know exactly what the dwelling place is like there. What Jesus is emphasizing in this passage, though, is that we go to be family with him. In that time period in Palestine, Often when a son got married, he didn't leave his father's house. Especially if they were wealthy, what they would do often is they would build onto the house. There was a shared courtyard or patio in the center, and then they'd build a whole new wing, a whole new house out this way. And then if someone else, they'd build it and it would go all the way around. That The family had plenty of space, but there was shared life together. This is what Jesus is describing. He says there's this real place, this real home that God is preparing for each of us. And I can hold on to the promise of that reality. And I can trust in it. And with that, the second promise, notice he says, he promises that he is preparing a place for you. That's why he's going. That's why he left. That's why there's purpose in it. He says, I'm actually going so I can get it ready for you. And, and, and I tell you, there's a part of that that gives me a peace and a calm. I, I talk to people at times, and, and it's interesting to me, a lot of people are scared about heaven, or they're scared about eternity. 
because they don't, don't know what to expect and there's things that we don't know about it and it's almost the, the unknown makes it so fearful. Here's all you need to know. Jesus is telling you, I'm going there. It's a house that's a home because I'm getting it ready for you. And the moment you arrive, guys, you're going to feel more at home there than you've ever felt anywhere in your life. You're going to belong more there than you've ever belonged anywhere. That sense of knowing that and feeling that. I, I would encourage you, don't be afraid. There, there's a part where the older I get, you know, Scripture says eternity is written in our hearts. And I think the older I get, and, and especially the more people I know who have died and I know that they are there, it changes your perspective on heaven. You know, with my mother dying recently, I was just thinking about with my mom and my father, my brother, my nieces, which with each of them, heaven becomes more of a place you long to go, a place that you long to be, a home you long to be in. And, and whether we realize it or not, I, I think it's during these hard times that we start to feel that homesickness for our true home. Now, I remember years ago when my son Drew was three or four. He was a little guy, and uh, he, he probably doesn't love me telling this. And I'm realizing now that as we watch this, we'll be sitting together on the sofa. So, Drew, I'm sorry in advance. Um, I'll make it up to you. I'll take you out. We'll get takeout or something. We'll figure out something to make it up. But Drew, when he was a little guy, I remember he, he was about three or four, really cute guy. And we were at the beach on a family vacation. And he loved it, the waves and the beach and the sand, till about day four or five. And I remember just one day, Drew suddenly was just kind of sad. And, and we went to him, we're like, Drew, aren't you having fun? He said, yeah. Don't you love the beach? Yeah. And, and finally he said, Drew, what's the matter? And, and he just said, I miss Drew's house. I want to go to Drew's house. And over the next couple of days as we were finishing out the trip, I mean, Drew would have fun, but every so often you could see that just that homesickness was growing in him. Till finally the day we, we got up and we loaded up the car, and, and I think in his mind we were getting in the car and we were going to go right home. We'd be right there. Unfortunately, as I told him, Drew, we still have about a 10-hour drive. And it just seemed to go on forever for him. Now, I'll never forget as we pulled into, we lived on this little cul-de-sac. As soon as we pulled into the cul-de-sac, Drew suddenly lit up. And we, we pulled into the driveway and just, I mean, he had the biggest smile and he goes, Drew's house. And he got out and he ran and again, he goes, Drew's house. And as we opened the garage and he saw his toys there, he goes, Drew's toys. And he literally just went in the house and everything he would see, he'd get excited. He, he ran upstairs. And this was the part he's most excited. He ran upstairs and he was like, Drew's room. And then he climbed up in his bed and he goes, Drew's bed. He was so happy to be home. Guys, whether you realize it or not, if you're the child of God, we have a homesickness for a home we've never been to. We have a homesickness for a home that he is getting ready for each one of us. 
And I think he uses times like this to ready us for that home. He's readying us as he gets it ready. And we can trust him in that. And we can trust as well. I love the third promise. He promises that he is coming back to get you. He promises each of us that he will get you. He will personally get you. Because you mean that much to him. Because each of us, as his children, he loves us that much. And we know if you're a child of God, he will get you. And and it's guaranteed one of two ways. If, If we live long enough that we're on this planet at the time of his return, then he will get us, we'll meet him in the air as he comes to get us. Or if we live long enough here and we die. Here's the promise he has. That the moment we face death, the moment we leave our body, we're present with him. It's the first face we see. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I love the passion that he describes it. He says, guys, you you know this is true. You know I'm coming for you. You know I wouldn't tell you these things if they weren't true. That there is a home that I'm preparing for you and I'll personally get you because you mean that much to us. You know, I, I remember years ago as well, our son Blake, sorry Blake, telling a story about you as well. He, he was about six or seven years old and uh, we had gone to a baseball game with one of the other boys and all of us as a family, we met there. Lee and I came in separate cars and it was over at Amato's Pizza right there in Almaden. And, and we were there with the team, this big, packed out pizza place with it. And when it was time to leave, Lee and I were going in separate cars. And I remember I was getting in the car with a couple of kids. She's getting in. As she got in the car, she asked the other two, hey, where's Blake? And one of them said, oh, he went, he went with dad. And as I got in the car, I, I looked at the two and I said, hey, where's Blake? And one of them said, oh, he went with mom. Now, where was Blake? Uh, he went to the bathroom. And the poor little guy, when he came out of the bathroom, we were gone. Now, thankfully, we only lived about a minute from there. And literally, as we were pulling into the driveway, suddenly I get this call. And uh, it's this lady on the phone, and she says, uh, we have your son, which I panic in that moment. And Lee and I both jump out of the car, and we're doing the head count, and we realize in that. And I jump back in the car, and I drive back over to Amato's. And when I got there, he wasn't very flustered. He was playing a game on somebody's phone. And the lady who had him, um, she told me in uh, so many terms that uh, we were not going to be nominated for parents of the year at that moment, and I I didn't care. I was just so thankful to see him. And and I still remember that sensation just driving to get him. It was a little panicky, a little guilty, but more than anything, how much I love him, how much I wanted to see him. Now, guys, here's the good news about Jesus. He never loses us. He never leaves us. But he will come back to get us. Every single one of us. And you can rest in those promises. That that he is preparing a place. It's a real place. And he's preparing it for you. And he'll come back to get you. We, We can trust him that he is present with us. We can trust his promises to us. And as you come to the end of this passage, as you look at it, 
There's one final thing that we can trust. Look as it continues on. As he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus says, you know the way. And, and I like how Thomas speaks out. And, and I love Thomas in, in scripture because he says the things that I think the rest of them were scared to say. He's just brutally honest. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? We we have no clue what you're talking about. None of this is what we expected. None of this is like we thought it was going to be. None of this makes sense to us. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I I think I, I love that sensation. I love his question because it feels like that right now. I think that's one of the hardest things right now is, is just not knowing where we're going, not knowing what's next. You know, I was reading a, about a condition. There's a woman, Mary McCl- uh, McLaurin, and she's got this condition called developmental topographical disorientation, DTD for short. And what this condition is, is basically she has no ability to form a mental map. She can't get an image of her surroundings. She, she never has an internal compass. And, and because of that, she finds herself in these scary situations. She was describing she was visiting a friend and went to walk the dog and literally had just walked the dog a short distance when suddenly she looked up and because she has this DTD, she didn't know where she was. Not, none of it looked familiar. And she didn't write down the address. And part of her started to get a little panicky. And she thought she should stop somebody or maybe call the police. And finally, a neighbor was able to help her just get the short distance and get her home. Listen as she describes this, because people that have this, it's not based on a brain injury or an accident or anything else. She describes it, though. She said, those of us struggling with this disorder are often left with feelings of anxiety, depression, isolation, and self-doubt. And as she described each of those emotions, anxiety, depression, isolation, self-doubt. You know, those are common emotions right now. Because I think in some ways with, with this pandemic and with this sheltering in place and with all that's happening, feels like this one collective sense of DTT where all of us are disoriented. None of us knows what's next. We've never done this before. We've never been through this before. We don't know what markers to look at. We don't know what really is around the corner. Despite the projections and what people say, there's this sense of fear. And like Thomas, we say, we don't know the way. We don't know where we're going. I love Jesus' answer. Go back to the verse, if you will. Jesus answers it. He says, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't know the way. He says, I'm the way. And I love that answer because so often in life, you know what we want to reduce it down to? We want to reduce it to some propositions that you're supposed to know. We want it to be principles that you have to believe. Or here's the map, and if you follow it directly, and you do it right, and you do all the right things, then you're going to make it through life. Here's what Jesus says. It's not a map that's written down. It's not propositions. It's a person. It's a person. 
And, and the last thing he says in this, you need to trust in him personally. You need to trust in him personally. He looks at them and he looks at us and he says, you want your way through life. You want to know where to go. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And as you think about that, I mean, if you picture, if you came to the edge of a wilderness and, and in the wild, there are many dangers. And, and, and you know you're not going to make it through on your own. As you came to the edge of that wilderness, would you want someone to write down some directions and you follow them? Or maybe give you a map and you try to follow it? Wouldn't you want someone who would step forward and say, I'm your guide. Let me take you through. Because I've been through. And I know the way. And I can lead you in it. Guys, right now, that's what Jesus is saying to each one of us. We see this wilderness in front of us. We don't know what's around the corner. And it's so easy to try to map it out ourselves or figure it out ourselves or, or try to look to all these different things. And I want you to hear me. I think Jesus is looking at each one of us and says, trust me. Focus on me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Now notice in that he says, trust in him, trust only in him. Look at the verse again in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice this line, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's, a, there's an exclusive claim that he's making here. That there are no other maps. There are no other guides. No one else will take you through to eternity, to life with the Father, to heaven, to that home that is prepared. No one else except him. And those are hard words in our culture today. We, we don't like exclusivity. And, and before you get mad at them, I didn't say them. Jesus did. Jesus is the one that makes this exclusive claim. And as you hear that, you, you go, wait a second. In this day when there's so many other religions and there's so many other teachers and there's so many other holy people, for one person to step forward and say, I am the only way to God. I am the only way to eternity. Isn't that kind of arrogant? And I would say it is arrogant except for one thing. The only way this is not arrogant is if it's actually true. And if it was true, then actually it's really loving that he said it. I mean, go back to that illustration. If you're standing at the edge of that wilderness and you know there's danger and you know there's heartache and you know that people cannot get through and at the edge of that wilderness, there's all different people there. And some are giving out maps. And some are giving out directions. And some are even claiming to be guides. But you know for a fact that none of the maps, none of the directions, none of the other guides will ever get through. Don't you owe it to the people there to tell them the truth? Don't you owe it to them to declare, hey, I'm the only one that can take you through. And the reason Jesus can declare that is he's the only one who's been through. 
Because that's what Easter's all about. That's what, what this time period proves in human history. That he is the way. And his way led to a cross. And it led to a grave. And it led to an empty tomb. And it led to a throne. His truth proved to be true in history. His life overcame death itself. He is the only one who went through the wilderness of death and he came back again. And so when he looks at us and he says, I am the way and I am the truth, I am the life, he is the only one that you can trust. You have to put your trust. You have to put your faith in him alone. And I think it's times like this that force us to trust him more. That we're not called to live in fear. We're not called to live every day with that sense of foreboding. Jesus says, you, you have to make the choice. Are you going to live every day with a troubled heart? Or would you actually trust in me? You know, the poet and pastor, John Donne, he didn't die from the black plague. The bells were not tolling for him. In fact, he, he went on and lived 10 more years. And, and ultimately, 10 years later, he died from cancer. But one month before he died, he preached a sermon called The Duel with Death. And, and in the sermon, he took on death itself. He spoke to death itself like an enemy that we're dueling with. It's interesting to me over the course of that 10 years that were hard 10 years. It was 10 years where they still dealt with the plague. But something changed in him that instead of being fearful and foreboding and troubled, he became a man of faith and trust. In fact, in that sermon, he closed it with another famous sonnet that he wrote. I love the words of it as he talks to death and in it he says, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. And he describes for a believer, we don't have to worry about death because when one short sleep has passed, we wake eternally and death shall be no more. I love this last line. He looks and he says, death, thou shalt die. Death, you're the one that's going to die, not us. What changed in him? How could he declare those words? Through all he had been through, how could he make that stand? Because he trusted Jesus with his life and with his death. Guys, I, I want to encourage you today. We have a choice. Trouble or trust. Fear or faith. You can trust today that he is present. He is with you. You can trust today his promises of eternity for you. You can trust today that, that Jesus personally is the way, the truth, and the life. And I hope that you've trusted him as your personal savior. If you haven't, make today the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? 
Don't, don't you want to have that same security that we have? Don't you want to know those promises are true for you? Declare to him today, Jesus, I need you as Savior. Jesus, you are my way. You are my truth. You are my life. And take the forgiveness that he extends because he died on the cross. Trust him today even if it's the first day you've ever trusted him. And for those of us who would already say, oh, I've already placed my trust in him, let's live like it today. Let's go into this Easter season as people who are looking to him, who are trusting him, who are standing on his promises and knowing that he will be with us every single step of the way. Will you pray with me? Father, I do just thank you for the words that you gave your disciple and the words that, that we can cling to, the words that we live by. We pray that we'd live this out. I, I confess it is so easy to be fearful. It is so easy to let my emotions make me troubled. Help me be a man of trust. Help me hold on to these promises. Lord, I pray as we go into this Easter season that we would see again what Christ accomplished for us that we'd remember what his death on the cross meant, that we'd remember what the resurrection meant in history, and that based on that truth, we could be people of faith. We could be people that reach out to others. We could be people that help others in this time of need. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he loves me, and one day he's coming for me, and he'll come for each one of us who look to him as Savior and Lord. And we pray these things in his name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.